Welcome to Midwest Architecture and Design. My name is Jordan Powers. I'm an architectural photographer based in Minnesota, photographing projects across the Midwest for architects, designers, and builders. And today I'm talking with Quinn Hudson and Brooke Jacobson of CNH Architects. Now, for those of you who've been following along, this is my first uh, interview with a commercial architecture firm. And uh, some of you may or may not know, but I've been photographing the built environment for the last 11 years or 10 years or so. And, but it's been primarily residential architecture that I've been photographing. Now I have done some commercial work sprinkled in, in those, in these last 10 years, but it wasn't until the last year or so that I started working directly with commercial architects. And just recently I started working with uh, CNH architects on a couple of their projects. So I actually wanted to sit down and learn a little bit about, uh, well, obviously a little bit about CNH architects themselves, about their background, where they're going and a little bit about their firm. But I also wanted to maybe understand a little bit more of the differences between commercial and residential architecture. Now, there's obviously the aesthetic differences and the, the differences in function, but some of the things that I hadn't considered before were all the different hoops that a commercial architect needs to jump through versus a residential architect, depending on the entity they're working with. Because keep in mind, they're working with private businesses, uh, office spaces, municipal entities, and a lot of the different things that they might have to jump through to get those accomplished are, are going to be a little bit different. So now keep in mind, the whole purpose of this podcast is I want to sit down with architects and learn and designers and learn a little bit more about the built environment, about their role and what they do. Uh, so I'm still learning how to have intelligent conversations about architecture. So forgive me if this, some of the questions that I ask are a little bit clunky. I'm still trying to learn how to articulate myself when I'm talking about architecture. So uh, hopefully you'll, you'll get the gist of what I'm trying to ask and the answers that they give. Now, one last thing before we hop in, I just wanted to make sure that for those of you who are just listening to this on audio, I just want to make sure that you know that you can watch this online at MidwestArcDesign.com. That's A-R-C-H design.com. And if you're somebody who's watching this on YouTube or at MidwestArcDesign.com, I just want to make sure you know that you can listen to this in passing in your car, on your commute, uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. So just search Midwest Architecture and Design. You should be able to find it pretty easily. Now, if you want to follow CNH Architects online, you can do so at, on Instagram at CNH Architects. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can do so at Jordan Powers without the vowels. In the meantime, enjoy this episode with CNH Architects. All right. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for, for joining me. Um, I already told everybody about you and what we're going to be talking about in the future, in the past or whatever. So <laughs> let's just kind of dive in. So CNH Architecture, Architects, uh, backstory. Let's just let's start there. I like starting there because it gives us a takeoff point. Absolutely. Well, just to let you know, CNH Architects has been around for uh, quite a while. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary two years ago now uh, as a uh, corporation. And uh, we've really uh, grown slowly, which was uh, over those many years. But that's kind of you know where we've been at, and really you know like the size we're at. Um, we've had a variety of different you know project types over the years, and grown into different specialties, uh, you know, and uh, kind of just you know seeing where you know seeing where those opportunities bring bring mm -hmm. us over those years how many people do you have working for the firm we have 13 we're architectural and interior design only so okay. you know we consult out for engineers of all types um you know and bring you know the right people in but uh internally we're, we've got 13 employees and okay yeah, yeah. size for us. And it's primarily commercial and s s like you, well, we'll get into that, but yeah, yeah. yeah sure. No, not, not any residential. No, no residential. Right. Okay. Right. Absolutely. Um, so how about, how about yourself, Brooks? So how long have you been, um, 
Yeah, you so. obviously haven't been here for the last 50 years. <laughs> Nor have no, I. No, thank, thank, thank <laughs> yeah. you for calling attention right. to that. Um, no, I've been with the firm since about 2005. Okay. So, um, and then I've been a, a an, either an associate or principal involved in leadership since, um, I think, 2013. Okay, okay. So, um, this is the first interview I've done with a commercial firm. So yeah. I'm, I have a lot to learn in this interview, so no pressure, but I'm going to be trying to pull a lot out of you. So I've primarily been photographing the residential space. I, I actually started in commercial, but I, you know, I'm, I'm down in Mankato area. There's not a lot of commercial architecture. No, there's a few right. firms. I, I've done some for some work for ISG and right. some others, but, um, Primarily residential is where I well, a lot of my focus is in, but I'm trying to do more commercial work. So it's a whole different experience for me as a photographer. Obviously, not just the the, the buildings that I'm in, the spaces that I'm photographing, but I, I'm understanding more and more the more commercial work that I do that's a completely different beast. Yeah, and we find that too. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, years ago, we would do some infill when residential you know, potential clients call us and we said, okay, yeah, we could maybe fit that in and make some sense. And then we realized after a while that um, it's just so different yeah. that you know we weren't addressing it in the you know, the way we would, you know, you can't address the same way you do commercial mm -hmm. uh, and it just wasn't a good fit. So yeah, commercial is very different. We see that with contractors as well. Mm -hmm. In fact, anytime we get a, a residential contractor trying to do a small commercial project, we definitely want to have a discussion about what's different mm -hmm. uh, so that they're, everyone's going in eyes open so they know that it is a different process. It's, and I know every project's going to be different, but typically where is it? Well, actually, before we get into there, you do do many different types of commercial, um, different, you know, government agencies, organizations. Um, I guess, was there a decision that kind of led in the past 50 years that kind of led that direction or is that where you started from? And we, yeah, we started more uh, on the commercial, okay. uh, non-public you know, non market. Um, and then it was somewhat conscious. I mean, yeah, you had to have the right opportunity to, to expand upon the, the public work. But uh, it uh, was a conscious decision to work in that. And now we're, we're at, depend on the year, but, you know, just say 50%, you know, municipal public mm -hmm. uh, associated would be city, county, state. Okay. Uh, work and 50% commercial projects, okay. but but it was conscious and uh, ben, I definitely benefits of having that diversity. Okay, and Brooke, did you initially get when you came in? I mean, when you went to school for architecture, were you leaning more towards the commercial side of things, or was it? Yeah. What was your? Yeah. So well, career path? most people when they go to school, they're in aiming towards the commercial realm because you okay. don't need a, actually an architect to do residential hmm. um, just in the built environment in right. general. So there's very few. Um, you don't need back, as in like, that's, not, was, that's not a requirement you mean? No, yeah. Back right. when I was going to school, the, the percentage was less than 1% of architects hmm. actually do residential okay. design. Everybody else is in the commercial realm. Okay. So. And for those clients out there listening, I, I certainly encourage architectural yes. design in residential. Sure, a lot sure. of benefits, uh, you know, in you know, getting things that are really well designed for you. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's not yeah. the you don't have part to be a, a licensed architect. Yeah, in the whereas in the commercial space, it does require that a commercial. Okay, correct. Yeah. That's interesting. That's one thing I did not know. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. so I mean, I most, assume most people don't. Yeah, most I assume, people think architect and they think right. we do homes and all that, but no. most yeah. don't. Yeah, I assumed that, uh, 
you know, you could just be, uh, well, I guess is, does it depend on the size or cause like there's just regular builders that might do like small little, uh, there, shopping centers or little plazas, right? Or does that get, still there, require? There is, it's, it's probably more limited than you think. Really? Um, there, there's small amounts as you, there is a size and it's a state code issue mm-hmm. of what, what that threshold is at which an architect needs to be involved uh, in designing and, and uh, certifying uh, the project designs. But they're, they're really small. You could do a, a small tenant remodel. And I, top of my head, I maybe right, yeah. it's three thousand feet or something. Sure, sure. But you can do something small. Uh, you can do you can go in and you know re do finishes, you know, re carpet or you know things like that without mm-hmm. an architect uh, involved. But after that, it, it is a state requirement. So there's this. I think it's funny, but it's probably very cliche. Like I, ha- I have this joke in my head where like people think of architects as just sitting around and drawing pictures of houses and buildings all day. <laughs> um, obviously, in the cur- commercial world, it's a lot different. Uh, now, the, of the you said 15, 13 people, 13. thirteen people working for the firm. What what all are the responsibilities of the people? Obviously, you have the architects. What other responsibilities do you work do as a firm? Because you're obviously juggling juggling multiple projects at a time. You have different people designing different projects. Right. So how does that work as a larger? I don't know, are you a larger firm or are you a smaller firm? Thirteen architects is, is just in that very edge of medium size. Okay. Um, although there are a very large number of you know one to you know five person firms sure uh, out there, uh, but uh, then there's the 90, 150, wow. you know, 200-person firms, too, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, uh, within the, you know, the state. But, uh, yeah, at, at 13, we're, we're just on that kind of that threshold uh, on the small, you know, medium. small to yeah. you know, medium size. Um, you start getting 40 or more, you then you usually start including engineering mm. within the firm because there's enough uh, to keep you know that going for us there's not always enough mm-hmm. you know we if a lot of projects are in early phases and we don't need consulting engineers uh, at that phase of the project then you know, well, you know if we had them in house they'd be looking for something to do right right um, but uh, yeah it's like a little beautiful size and the good thing about being on kind of that smaller range is that pretty much everyone um in our office can work on any aspect of a project at any given time. So they're also involved from a, through a project from start to finish, um, as long as schedules allow and, you know, Mm -hmm. things don't start and stop and people get busy, but they're, you're allowed to, to, you know, work on design, work on construction documents, and then work in construction administration and and see it all the way through, which doesn't happen a lot when you get into some of the larger firms. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They tend to have you on a category of the project. You get, you do it over and over, and you get probably very efficient. Yep. But you also aren't bringing that experience of the whole project in. Okay. Um, so it's, it's something that at that medium size we can right. do. Um, and uh, and actually, when we pull our staff, that's an important factor to them: to, that ability to be able to see projects from start to finish, learn about all the aspects, you know, of uh, you know how a building goes together or what's important in the design process. And are you generally working, I mean, it's, it's probably varies per project, but are you generally working on each project kind of as a team? Like, do you have one person that takes 
the the lead on a on a project and then everybody's kind of involved at some point or is it really just going to depend on the project i know that's a loaded question but really depends on the project and the size of the project so some of the smaller projects um, it might be a principal and one other person in the office some of our larger projects when we get into um, some of our city work where we've developed a public safety team in the office so we do a lot of fire stations Uh, we'll have multiple people working on that so you'll kind of have uh, one or two overseeing the broader team that's working on the project. Okay. That's a good question. So one of the things I did notice about your firm when we first started talking was that you do a lot of fire stations and a lot of like, so are you known as a firm for, you know, in the residential world, residential architects may be known for a certain style of architecture. Yeah. Is it the same in the commercial world or is it more Not type just- of... Yeah, not necessarily style. Uh, there, I mean, not that there aren't some really well-known architects sure, sure. that have a very specific style. You think right, of right, like right. Frank Gehry and like yeah, the, of course. U of M, you yeah. know, Art Museum. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, for, you know, for us, we're, we take a very different approach, particularly at our firm. Uh, where we're very focused on what is right for the client mm-hmm. and what their interests are, traditional, modern, you know, some blend, you know, uh, depending on the project, it, 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 our project turned out a lot very, you know, different. Going back to what you started asking about, you know, how did we, you know, kind of more in the uh, being known for something, you know, um, and, and we were definitely known for fire station work. Sure. Uh, we probably have more uh, current active fire station projects than any other architect in uh, Minnesota. To my knowledge, I mean, I, sure, I sure. don't know what yeah, everybody has. Not like <laughs> I have no idea right. exactly what everybody has going on, but I, I, I know that we are at least one of the leading architects in, in uh, fire station design at this, at this point. How did that happen? Is it was this, you designed one, they liked it, it word spread? That's absolutely true, and yeah. in, in way many things start. Yeah. Uh, we, we've been we were doing municipal work for quite a while, you know, for, work for cities uh, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, a little bit of city hall work here, you know, some park and rack. And then, and then we had this opportunity to kind of connect and do a, a first fire station. And it ended up being uh, a very significantly sized, nationally recognized uh, design award you know, and all that. And so it really was a great kickoff for that yeah. category. Right. Right. And, you know, we said we really loved doing this. Uh, the, the fire station work was, it was very, very interesting, rewarding uh, great people to work with, so we really worked hard to just grow that part of, you know, uh, of the business focus. And there's a huge knowledge base when it comes to fire stations that you have to know. So mm. it's not real easy for someone to just jump in, like, you know, to jump in and do an office building if you haven't done an office building before. That's a much simpler transition. But there, there's a huge knowledge base when it comes to fire station. That's interesting. Okay, now you're, you're triggering some thoughts in my head because <laughs> w- with residential, it's generally you, you kind of know what you're dealing with each time for the most part. But I hadn't considered that there's so many different, you know, w- with commercial, there's just different types of uh, I don't know the, the the language to use just yet. I'm getting there. Project types. Project types. Uh, but there's there's different. Um, I don't know, like beasts you have to overcome to like get some of those, especially with government work. Yeah. So, can you talk a little bit about working with a, a private commercial, uh, private uh, like office uh, environment? Like for example, I just photographed a uh, storage facility for you. And a daycare. Yeah. Two very different businesses. Yes. Like what, 
are there many different, well, I guess those are both private businesses, but um, if, if you compare those to working with governments, like what kind of hurdles are you having to? In, in, for each of our clients, we have to really learn and understand what their business is. Okay. And the repeat clients, either individually or big types, like daycare is one that we you know, have done a lot in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you, know, you learn the client, but then you also have the piece to learn about what are all the very specific uh, daycare licensing requirements, some of which are, are physical building requirements mm-hmm. that we need to provide in the building. So it's, it's, it's you know, if, I, I think for us, that diversity keeps it interesting and it's learning. I'm, I'm just, I, I can't imagine doing a, uh, an occupation where I'm not learning something new all the time. Right, it's right. just part of the joy of, of doing it. So whether we're learning about requirements, we're learning about how somebody specifically does things, or, or just learning and meeting new people. It's just always something you know, that's mm-hmm. new in that. You had mentioned uh, going to school uh, for this that people generally have the idea of going into commercial because of the 1% thing. Uh, I'm curious, I'm, I'm guessing you, you were in school uh, more recent than, than Quinn. <laughs> than me, yes. Yeah. That's um, fair. That's so so uh, I'm curious, um, in the, do, do you, are people still thinking about the art and the creative things, or has it become in the commercial world, does it become very quickly more academic or technical? Is like is like the the in school? Um, I'm talking about like once profession? you actually like leave the leave school, go into the profession. Does like the the it's all of the above? Okay, yeah. So it it really depends on what your role in each project is, uh, yeah. what the project entails. So I mean, every project has some portion of design to it. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a simple building and you're just trying to get the rooms to fit together, or it's you know the um, you're doing a whole building from scratch and it's the exterior aesthetics along with how the building flows as you walk, you know, inside of the building. But then there's, you need to be knowledgeable about how the building goes together. So the wall systems and, uh, all the components of that, how to detail things. So, I mean, there's technical aspects to it, but there's also design aspects. So, mm-hmm. and on any given team, some people might focus a little bit more on the um, technical aspects, depending upon what, you know, how large our team is and what we're doing in the office. But, you know, a lot of us work in all the different aspects at different times. I think there's a transition a bit too that uh, happens between school and, and the field. Big um, transition. There, depending on the school, there's different levels of, of, of stressing the design aspect of, of architecture. But in all of them, there, there's a focus on the artistic, the creative, and that's good. Yeah. And that's, a, that's a very real part of what we do. Um, but in school, you don't get as much into the detail. You learn a bit about it, but you don't spend as much time in the details you do mm-hmm. on the creative. And so when you come... They sell you on the dream of everything. Yeah. And, then the and then when you come... Yeah, reality. The reality. <laughs> right. um, it's, it's real. It's there. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of... You know, I, I would say the creative side of things is, is maybe um, 25, 30% of their time. Yeah. And what is creative artistically or creative in um, the challenge of, of finding the right flow and mix and, and, and the puzzle pieces of putting things yeah. together. That's still creativity, not necessarily Just the same different, artistic, different right, type. Yeah. But it, you know, that's 25, 30%. The other part yeah. is 
doing it so that it, it is quality and, and lasting and, and, you know, and the detail of code or mm-hmm. function or, or um, material uh, requirements. Where does it start? I mean, I mean again, every, I, I should preface everything that I say with a caveat of every project's obviously different, but like, yeah. does it, when a client approaches you, um, and it seems like uh, most of the clients you have are, um, you kind of have a specific direction already in mind because of you, you have history doing those projects like fire stations and whatnot. But you, you typically start with a design. I mean, you start with a function, obviously. But then does it kind of go right into design, like the, the appearance of what the public is going to see? And then it goes into the details or is it going to be? I, I think yeah. it's. It's soon, but I think we we start yes with the idea of what do you, what are the goals and needs project sure. goals is yeah. yeah and that can be specific to the room and function needs to more um, overarching Wanting goals to have you know good daylighting you know it's not a very mm-hmm. specific thing but it's something throughout the building they want yeah. to incorporate or you know but then it like goes that. and then we typically start looking at organization space relationships. Mm-hmm. And then we go into aesthetics. Yeah. Um, but we we don't we don't anyway in our office start generally thinking about what's it look like and then fit the function into it. Mm. We, we start with function, then go to aesthetics, and then it's a back and forth push and pull. Right. After that, of course, but you have to, they, they both have to work together. Right. And, and yeah. not everything hits it on the first try. So. Right. 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 <laughs> so we're talking in a post-COVID world, and yeah. I'm sure the conversations come up quite a bit. I know that it has because I've I've listened in on some of those conversations. But what are things? This is a big question, obviously. But just just you know, kind of where we're at right now. Are you having to already start considering what happened with COVID and how how the office the the, the work environment is changing? A lot of people are working from home now. People who are working in the office, there's like this fear and anxiety of distancing and whatnot are you having to like put a lot of consideration to that yet or yeah working with our clients uh it it has had some impact and changes in what they're looking at and Mm -hmm. uh where where they're going next and and uh uh, in fact we had some projects during covid where we were working with cities uh particularly to provide quick changes to space yeah to provide more separation for the staff mm-hmm. to public interactions and, and things like that mm-hmm. um, but yes as we go forward I know it's going to have more and more impact right um, I was oh, oh, sorry I was, I was listening to a, a camera which podcast it was it was just somebody talking about just the different considerations that are being made now even like using sensors a lot more for um, you know, touchless, touchless things as well as different surfaces that are not like antimicrobial. I don't know what the, the mm-hmm. word is, but some surfaces that um, help prevent the spread of germs and, and whatnot more. Are, are those things that you've had to start putting a lot of, uh, I'm not necessarily research, but have you had to start pivoting towards things of that in, in projects or? Yeah, I, I think there has been some uh, uh, there. Um, and I think we'll, I think it's still, the story still yet to be written a little bit as to what is the most important. Mm-hmm. Um, in initial crew response were a lot of the don't touch. Right. And I think uh, even CDC has come out and said, you know, that, that not that you can't transmit sure. through touch, um, but that airborne was much more a factor. Right. And so I think we're looking more uh, 
now, anyway, at this point, where our clients are asking about, it, they're looking at more of ways to provide more fresh air, to clean that air, mm-hmm. um, and and provide ways to you know reduce airborne mm-hmm. uh, and and space and things like that, and separation right. uh, than they than they were. But I, I think we will still also continue to see more and more touchless door entries mm-hmm. sinks, you know, plumbing faucets yeah. Yeah. yeah toilets yeah. Um, lights automatic automatic lights yeah. yeah the antimicrobial maybe not so much uh, the more I've been hearing about that that's not it, that really it, it, it's not that big a deal and, it, and right. it's not always doing what you're thinking when this is antimicrobial right right it prevents maybe mold from growing on the on item but it's not sure. necessarily preventing transmission right right um, it's protecting the product not you yeah, and a lot of these things were, were so, being talked about when we yeah. still thought that it was being spread through like cardboard boxes and yeah. like, you know groceries and stuff which not to say it wasn't but I'm just saying it was like so uncertain at the time that yeah. Yeah. I think that was just part of the discussion people were having at that time yeah. well some things that'll be interesting to see where it goes, I think, is prior to the pandemic, you know, some um, clients were looking at, you know, decreasing footprint. So putting mm-hmm. people closer together in open office areas, having, you know, hotel um, type desks where you, yeah. you know, interchangeable, like whoever comes up gets that desk that day. Mm-hmm. And now with, you know, with the airborns and transmissions, do people really need to be further away? Um, versus, you know, people that are yeah. sitting like three foot on center, you know, at a computer cubicle. Look, so it'll be interesting to see. When I was working in corporate, I, I, we, I was in an office environment. It was like a call center type environment. And there was, you know, it was an open floor plan, desks right next to each other. Like I would actually personally prefer to work in an environment where you have a little bit more privacy, less distraction, less noise. I mean, it, there's got to be benefits to it, mm-hmm. to this type of design consideration as well. Yeah, I think there was a, there was a, it was a trend a little bit, a little trendy aspect mm-hmm. to uh, the, the idea of having smaller desk space. Mm-hmm. And then the trade-off the, you know, that they were doing was providing more um, collaboration common space. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want to work with somebody on something, just there's this, you know, this stand-up desk over here, there's that, you know, uh, Couch area over here, you know, and that kind of. So they're trading; they were trading off. They weren't as always getting all, always, always getting smaller. They're just trading it for desk space for for uh, common joint use space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that'll go back a little bit. Yeah, we'll see. I, yeah. Everything's still up in the air again with with everybody um, with a lot of companies like working from home now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't, who knows what the future holds, but um, I mean, you guys seem to still be keeping busy with everything. Uh, is there like a, a different consideration you guys are having to take for h- how you approach projects now, yeah. aside from just the, the COVID things? I, I think if there was a category of things that I, I think are, are going to be the next, you know, new item for architecture in a real general sense, it's going to be resilience. Hmm. Uh, meaning, uh, how do you design buildings to be flexible enough to manage changes and challenges to the building's environment? Right. Well, you know, that could, whether that's sustainability related things, you know, and, and climate change, or you know, in many ways, COVID was a shock to, you know, 
in many ways right, 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 right. to business and buildings had a part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what buildings were more resilient to that? What were they thinking about? Um, you know, in other ways. So I think that's going to be kind of one of the new categories of things that, that uh, we'll be learning more about and seeing how does that impact mm-hmm. and how do we provide better buildings with longer longer life and longer value mm-hmm. um, by considering resilience. Are, are people leaning away from, um, have you noticed yet people leaning away from like uh, larger office spaces and reconsidering like what that even looks like. I mean, I'm trying to expand a little bit on this, on that, that conversation about the office environment, how people can have like cubicles here and then maybe just a separate work environment. Like the co-working space is becoming more and more popular, um, but the way those are set up, it's kind of designed to have a more like free flowing work environment versus like just stagnant right. um, exclusive office spaces. Is that, I think that's going to continue. Yeah. I don't know that it's going to be the majority for sure. Right, right. I, but it, I think that trend's going to continue some yeah. more. Um, I, at least with the, the experience of working remotely, mm-hmm. um, has kind of built in a certain amount of flexibility in, in employer employees' right. perspective. And I think that the business will be looking to how to address that. Yeah. And it's going to be different for every industry. Yeah. <laughs> what that means, you know, there will be some that, that may never come back together mm-hmm. uh, at the same fixed office. And, and, you know, they may pick up a couple, yeah. you know, we work spots or whatever, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then there'll be others that uh, interaction and direct interaction visual, you know, uh, is important. We've, Internally, we, we're we're struggled uh, a little bit to redefine what's the right uh, mix of that for us. So we definitely noticed that some things were very challenging to do virtual in the architectural world. Mm. Some things were impossible. You can't go and do a site inspection right. uh, remotely. Right. <laughs> but even or look at material selection choices. You know, you, seeing something on a computer screen versus seeing and touching is not the same. Right. Well, and you're looking at different computer screens that show colorways different. Like I learned that on a project last summer is somebody thought the exterior building was a slightly different color than it was. That's a huge challenge intended. for so, photographers as well. Like yeah. when yeah. you're when you're dealing with color, um, because everybody's looking at different. Every screen is di- different. Every screen's different. Every environment. You're, my three you're, screens on my desk. All completely different. Yeah. So as a photographer, like one of the other things that we're not considering is a lot of these monitors are, um, they have like ambient light detection. So they'll adjust the white balance based on, on that. So even in this room, if we go in this room versus inside the office where there's no windows right there, it's your screen's going to adjust. So it's, it's been a challenge as a photographer trying to explain to people, uh, well, you know, this, keep in mind, this color is going to change a little bit, uh, depending on the, the room you're viewing. I can imagine it's challenging in the architecture space as well. Yeah. Yes. So I'm, you have that challenge. Is this, yeah. yeah. Not only in the, in the color side, but, but clearly you're not going to do a shoot from home. Right. Yeah. So, well, actually, interesting. <laughs> <Maybe enough. laughs> well, no, no, I haven't, but, uh, there was, there was two well-known architecture photographers who did a personal project during COVID where they, it was all residential, but they had people from all over the world take their, they, they basically directed uh, uh, people across the world to, to um, adjust their screen and do staging virtually. And they mm-hmm. basically did this project where they did like 50 homes all across the world just with people's uh, webcams. 
Okay. And it was it was actually a really interesting project. It's worth maybe looking at. If anybody's interested, I'll link to it. But um, yeah, it was just you know you, you have to learn to adjust and pivot when you know pandemics and the like happens. Right. You know, and and the the work environment changes. Um, is there any particular? I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say, is there anything you want the public to know necessarily, but like maybe about your firm, what you have coming up in the future, what direction you're heading with things. Um, what does the future look like for CNH? Yeah. I, I think that, that we're, you know, some of our business goals uh, are to continue developing and, and maintaining good diversity of project types. Uh, and we really, not only is that enjoyable, um, but it certainly, as a, uh, a business, it, it uh, provides a little more stability. Um, you know, architecture, like anything in, in the construction world, can be very susceptible to uh, economic conditions. Mm-hmm. And not that we can insulate ourselves totally from that, but right. the diversity certainly has a, a very positive impact on that. Mm-hmm. But we enjoy it as, as a staff as well, uh, right. to really working with different types. Um, you know, maybe some small amount of growth in the, in the company as well as we look forward. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're developing, uh, you know, our staff and providing, you know, more individual expertise and knowledge within it to always. And, you know, that's always a, an ongoing process with any company, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. Well, and Brooke, actually, I should have asked you a little while ago. You're the first female architect that I've spoken with in this podcast. And you're also a principal. <laughs> yeah. So, so is that um, again being somebody who's somewhat still ignorant to the industry? Is that pretty unique? I don't know if it's unique. It's yeah. not uh, super common. Yeah. Um, and up until the last few years. That's a better years. way to put it. Is, is, that, is, that, is that common? Because yeah. I mean, there are many yeah. women out there sure, in yeah. leadership positions. It's just a small percentage when in the architecture industry. So, mm-hmm. I mean, when I go to the AIA convention in the fall, I'm still, you know, want, there's still a lot of yeah. the, you know, older white male that's, yeah. that's there and represented. And it's interesting because in school, women have actually overtaken men in huh. percentages okay. for architecture school. Yeah. And, but you don't see that as much when you get out in the field and we have a lot of factors, you know, right. um, women start getting married, having children, having to take some time off. Right. It's not an easy um, career to just jump right back in the saddle. Yeah. Um, it's always changing. Things are always yeah, changing. You always have to be on top of everything and learning and sometimes priorities shift, um, especially when you get into some of the larger firms, you know, they expect a lot of time out of you. Right. And if you start to have a family, so then your priorities start to shift and you're not able to give of that time. And mm-hmm. so then sometimes it's harder to, to move up the ladder and, and get into some of those leadership positions. Yeah. So. Um, well, I will it's say like, I it's think like 15, what, 15 years you've been here, been here. Yeah. 16, almost 16 years. Oh, 16 yeah. years. So, so when did you become a principal? Um, principal was a year ago or okay. a little over a year ago and it okay. became an associate, um, 2013. Okay. So, but which is the first a, step in leadership. For right. Us. Right. But that is a unique aspect, at least for us. Uh, nine of our 13 employees are female. Mm. Yeah. So we're definitely that in the midst of that transition at all. Yeah. I mean, that is unique. Yeah. I would say in our industry. Yeah, um, this is definitely not a conversation that can we could talk all day about it. But um, 
I'm curious about like what how challenging it has been for you as a female. I don't really know how to ask that. Maybe I'll just straight up ask it. Like, <laughs> sure. has it been challenging as a female architect over your career? And, and I know that we're sitting in front of Quinn right now, but I mean, just yeah. has it been challenging from your perspective to to grow into these leadership roles? I will say yes and no. Like, I'm very fortunate to have been at CNH for as long as I have, especially talking to cohorts around the Twin Cities. As a female, um, it was not a hard jump to get into leadership here. And I think we're, as a firm, very supportive of women. Like Quinn said, we right. have nine female out of 13 yeah. um, people in the office. And so that's it's not something that really plays a factor. Right. Um, so that's fortunate. Um and so that's where, you know, I, I haven't had any issues. The pro, the more issues are dealing with men in the industry. So construction. So, I mean, Job we're site. architects yeah. and yeah. we deal with clients and all that. And for the most part, you know, I've never had any issues. It's when I go to a job site and I'm completely surrounded by men and mm. how, like if Quinn and I both go to a site, they will speak to him differently than speak uh, to me or just not speak to me. So well. there's a... So it's dealing with that side of it. Yeah, yeah. that could be. I can see that being really challenging, and I had I would have never considered that. Mm -hmm. But that's good to know. That's good. I'm glad you shared that. Again, we could, this could be a really long conversation. <laughs> so to like put a yeah. little button on it right there, <laughs> something for for uh, men to consider, uh, especially if you're in the construction world. <laughs> um, well, I appreciate the, taking the time. I know this wasn't like a like we didn't like uncover anything profound, but I wanted to learn mm -hmm. more about your firm where you're coming from, where you're heading, um, and just learn a little bit more about commercial architecture in general. So I appreciate the insight you're able to give me. Is there any last thoughts you wanted to share with anybody about anything about your firm or anything you want people to know? Are you hiring or do you want people to <laughs> just fill their last, most recent positions? Okay, well, we're good there. I well, know. Uh, I, I, I think it's just, uh, you know, it's a, I've really enjoyed and, and continue to enjoy every day um, and the challenges of it, but I, I really like architecture uh, working with people, developing something that helps them, you know, do their job better, do, you know, do their you know, business, enjoy their time at work, but do it in a way that you can physically see it afterwards. I, right. I, I, that's one of my favorite parts of, of, you know, being an architect is that you can see what you created with, for them mm -hmm. and, and for, you know, but it, it's very physical. Yeah. Enjoy that part. It's been fun talking. So yeah, I, yeah. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for time. I know you've got a meeting to get to, so I'll let you both get on with your, with your day. Thank you so much for listening to Midwest Architecture and Design. If you're an architect, designer, or builder and would like to collaborate on a project together and be interviewed on this podcast, please reach out to me at jordanpowers.com. Now, if you'd like to help keep me motivated to continue making these, just knowing that you found this worth watching or listening to is reason enough. So please do me a favor and subscribe wherever you're listening to this or watching so that I know what kind of reach this is getting. Also, if you're listening to the audio-only version of this, you can watch the episode for free at MidwestArcDesign.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Jordan Powers without the vowels.